sites. In the meantime, if you'd like to take a look at some amazing views of this lake, be sure to check out the website of the Sun Moon Lake National Scenic Area. You can find it at www.sunmoonlake.gov.tw forward slash English. That's www.sunmoonlake.gov.tw forward slash English. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again next week. Listen! Are you listening? <laughs> this is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Tom Chen is an independent filmmaker. He is the only child in his family. He did terribly in elementary school and begged his parents to send him to the states for further education. Luckily, he did better in school. But then he was expelled for wearing a small pocket knife on his keychain around his neck. You see, it was a sensitive time around then because there was some shooting that took place on some school campus. Tom majored in psychology but minored in filmmaking. After graduating, though, he could only Find a job in his major if he wanted to get a working permit, but he preferred finding a job in filmmaking. So he chose to leave the states and come back to Taiwan. Now he's doing two things he loved: film and cooking. The cooking part was because he worked in New York at tea bars and restaurants and befriended ten Taiwanese friends. They came back together and started an open kitchen in Taipei. Today's interview will begin from there about his ten friends and the open kitchen. <music> So you met them in in New York, and you already started private kitchen back then. Is well, not not in New no. York. Well, back in New York, we were all like working part time at restaurants. That's oh, how really? we met. Yeah, that's including how we met. you. Yes. Oh, you were like uh, uh, waiting on tables, or you, you were uh, a chef. I, I was working in the kitchen. You were a, working in the yeah, kitchen. I was a line chef. Wait a minute. You learned the cooking from your mom, or? Well, I, I started working. In restaurants and you know tea bars, you know those uh, Taiwanese bubble tea places yeah. back in Cali, actually. And ever since then, I've always had part-time jobs in restaurants or tea bars. And that's how you learn cooking. Yes. Okay. What's your specialty? Uh, I would say pastas. Pastas. Yeah. Okay. So now you've got your private kitchen here in Taipei. Yes. And there's no menu. What else? What's what? What's the other characteristic about a private kitchen? Well, our our unique speciality is that we combine cocktail with food. Mm-hmm. So instead of having wine or champagne to go with the dishes, we have uh, specially designed cocktails for each dishes that we provide. Cool, cool. Where where is this kitchen? Uh, it's hidden in Mingsen. Okay, Mingsen. Somewhere right. there. Yes. Somewhere there. Does it have a name? Uh, yes, it's called a Kulaman. It's a, a French. It's a French word. Akulama. Akulama. Yes. What does that mean? Uh, it means fluid, actually. Fluid. Yes. Oh, okay. Okay, like liquid fluid. Yes, like liquid fluid. So, um, all ten of you kind of like work in the kitchen at the same time. Well, actually, you said there are four of you now. Yeah, the four of us are the main people that runs the place. 
and the other six wait on tables. Well, not just wait <laughs> on tables. We we are actually we cover a variety of stuff that we do there. We also do uh, restaurant consultants. We also do caterings, do events, and also we do teaching. We we have classes in um, Shishu. Oh yeah, right. There's this um, institute. Yes, this that is, is uh, that kind of promotes the arts. Yes. Yes, uh, it's not too far from here in mm-hmm. Nihu. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we oh, teach oh. Um, cooking class there too. Really? Yeah, wow. So we cover a variety of stuff related to food. So you group of people are all in your twenties, right? Am I yes. right? Yeah, all very young, upcoming uh, gourmet chefs. Yes. So this is interesting. Your private kitchen is actually a small little place. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's on the second floor. It's on the second floor. Yes. Okay. Yeah, those kind of things are very interesting. There are a few of these yeah, dotted here and there in Taiwan. Yeah. In Taiwan. So, um, do you guys do seafood too? Yeah, all we kinds do. of food, all right? All kinds of food. Even the meats and everything, yeah, right? There's no limitation to what we do there. Right, except that it can be pricey for per person. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> But um, people don't get to know you unless they know someone through connections. You know, it's yes. like you're not. You, you cannot be found. Well, Can we you? do have a you Facebook do. fan page. Oh, okay, that's Facebook fan. That's about yeah. it. Yeah. So unless you know you're introduced to it, people won't know yes. about you guys. So very interesting. Yeah, we like oh. to keep it very discreet. Discreet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. So you're doing cooking, and you know you've got your own private kitchen and filming. Yes. That can keep you quite busy. Pretty much. Yeah. That's all yeah. my life is about right now. Oh, that sounds so much fun! Yeah. I, I wouldn't <laughs> mind having that kind of life. I mean, seriously, if I'm, I'm if I'm better at cooking, but I, mean, I don't know much about film either. I just love watching movies. But um, so, what kind of film projects have you been involved in lately? Well, um, the latest biggest film project was um, with Laura and Esther. It's called Tomorrow's Star. I know. Yeah, I was okay. the, I was the first AD for that film. AD. Yeah, assistant director. Right. Okay. Yeah, I I saw the trailer for that. Very nice. Very one of a kind. You know? Yeah. It's, and I uh, know Esther and Laura. I interviewed them a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah. But um, they're great. They're, they're great people. Yes. Yeah. See, it took them a few years to finally. I realized when I saw this thing that this was their dream from way back, maybe five or six years ago, and it's finally come to fruition. You yes. know. And um, I'm 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 happy for them. Yeah, it's really very different. It's more a movie using music videos. Yeah, it was. Yeah, a, it, it was a great project. Yeah, and it was. It tells a story. It actually tells a story. You know, um, through these music videos, mm-hmm. that is really very nice. What is it about film that you like so much? Is it the directing, or what is it? Um, I think I like all aspects of film except the producing part because that's where you have to go look for money yeah you have to look for money and all the you know the small details of all but i like the arts part i like filming i like uh, directing i like videographing i also like uh, script writing because that's oh. how you create the whole story to come true okay you know that's why i think that's why i love film so much is that you can create anything mm-hmm. you know as long as you can imagine it Is it possible to love acting but not writing scripts? I think for people, yes. I think for my son's one. For some people, yeah. <laughs> for some people, yeah. Acting is their thing. Yeah. Yeah. I have met a I have met a couple of actors back in college, where all they ever wanted to do was act. When did you start writing scripts? I mean, oh, back in you... college, actually. 
Did you like it from the start when you started writing scripts? When I first started, I did not like it because there was, uh, you know, the formality of writing scripts with it. Oh, but okay. Then the but the idea course. of creating a story out of thin air is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much whatever you want, you can put it down to a script. Okay. It doesn't really have to be made, but you know, it has the potential to be made. Of all the scripts you've written, which one is that you most proud of? Can you give a general? idea what it was about there's quite a few that i've written back in college what what kind of scripts do you like to write love stories or thrillers. science fiction or thrillers, thrillers mostly oh wow yeah one of the biggest uh impact one film has on me uh this one particular film was the silence of the lamp yeah yeah i really like that film you really like yeah. that film It has it has a lot of psychological warfare inside mm -hmm. that you can dig in, and a lot of people can overlook easily. But of course, you study psychology; you would analyze it that way. Yes. Yeah, I can see that. I'm sure you saw a lot more than I saw out of that movie. Yeah, probably. Yeah. And 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 you must love Anthony Hopkins. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's amazing. He's amazing. You know, doing thriller movies like that. Yeah. Words can't describe just yes. how amazing <laughs> he is. Yes. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. Do you find a connection between your love for film and cooking? Is there any connection? Well, there is. There is. I mean, there I'm is. I'm just. I just threw it out of nowhere. Well, I mean, for right now, I'm also doing a lot of um, food photography as well as you know promotional videos for restaurants. Okay. On just on food. Oh wow! Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm trying to. A lot of times, I'm trying to combine the two of them together, mm -hmm. you know, to, to create to create something new. Yes, create something new. Because I'm thinking, like you know, restaurants, you know, videos introducing a restaurant. I mean, you think of the obvious, but you know, if you can think out of the, you know, yeah. out of the box and try to come up with something unique. Have you made something um, like introducing a restaurant, a, a video for a restaurant already? Well, Uh, or you're I about have, to you have I have one or two short ones but not nothing big yet they're like what 30 seconds or even less 30 seconds to a minute yeah oh okay you can pack a lot in a minute yeah even if 30 seconds yeah true. yeah how do you see your life I mean here before me is someone you know I never thought that your life story is so colorful <laughs> so you know so so much adventure and excitement But um, how do you see your own life so far? So far. So far. Yeah. I don't know. I think uh, my life experience so far is, has always been choppy. It's like segment, segmented into different pieces, different places. So I think that gave me the advantage of being a Taiwanese and not a Taiwanese at the same time. Unlike a lot of the American-born Chinese, they're very Americanized. And for the local Taiwanese people, they're very Taiwanese. But I'm more of a mix in the middle. Ah. Like, I understand both culture. But so, I'm, I don't really feel like I belong to either culture. You're another third culture yes, kid. pretty much. Yes, just like me. Yeah. Yeah. And we can chat about this afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How do you see your future? Where do you want to go from here? You're doing two things that you really love. One yes. is film and the other is food. Yes. Where, where, where do you want to go from here? You've still got a lot of life ahead of you. 
Yeah, still a long way ahead. Yeah, a long way ahead. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm, have you thought ahead of like you know what you see yourself in maybe five years time? I'm thinking right now. I'm focusing more on. I'm focusing more more on the filming part right now. Yes, because for the restaurant part, I have my partners. You know, because they're all, they all have my back, so I really don't have to worry much. Oh really? You don't have to be there every day. I have to be there. I just don't have to worry about a lot of the you know the small formality stuff. Uh-huh. But for filming, because it's an art, and you have to keep trying and trying, it actually consumes more time. Yeah, right now, and I really wanted to. You know, if one day, I, if I could, I you know, oh, everyone wants to go to Hollywood. Oh really? Yeah. Well, I mean, not Even- entering Hollywood, but like doing something that's. Hollywood scale, a oh, film okay. that's like that scale of that scale. Yes, in Taiwan, doing something of Hollywood scale. Yes, if possible. If possible. Yeah, it, it can be possible. Yeah, if you really put your hands to it. I guess you love Taiwan. I do. Yeah, you love the fact that you're Taiwanese, and yes. yeah. so I mean, this is the only country I really feel comfortable staying in. Really? Yeah. Okay. Know, of all the places. Of I've all the traveled, places, yeah. Yes. Oh, really? Why is that? What do you, what do you think it is? Mm, I think it's the people, the culture, and also it's just it's where I grew up as mm-hmm. a kid. Yeah, sporadically, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Well, I'm sure you can contribute a lot to Taiwan. You know, you're not the first, but there have been people like you, young, and also Taiwanese, or maybe yeah, Taiwanese, but then went abroad and then came back, and you know, because I was asking them, like, you know. You know, I'm thinking if I, if only I could have my son go abroad and study. I mean, which is good, but the thing is, they're saying like, well, he doesn't have to go abroad to study because everything you can learn from even YouTube. Yeah. You know, like um, like someone interviewed before, and whom you also know, um, they said that they started doing animation. They just learned it from YouTube's. They didn't yeah. know anything about animation before, and pretty so much. he thinks that you don't have to go abroad to study. You can just pretty much learn anything from YouTube. You can do it right here in Taiwan and help develop the film mm-hmm. industry here, or whatever needs to be developed here, because there's no such thing as it's too limited or yeah. whatever. I mean, there's I guess the, that's the, the era nowadays, the internet being so convenient, you can pretty much learn everything online. But yeah. I mean, the only thing I don't think. You can learn without going abroad. Is the actual culture and the people there? Right. Yes. You know, and for for filming, that's a big part to to understand different cultures and people and how they behave and why they behave that way, or why they think that way is is how a great film came to be. Would you want to go back and kind of spend some time in Hollywood and just kind of immerse yourself in that culture before you come back and try to make some great films? I mean, if the opportunity presents itself, I'm not going to wow. turn it down. <laughs> You're going to be a busy man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know, it's been a lot of fun talking to you, Tom. Me too. Yeah. And, you know, best of luck, really, to everything you. you're pursuing. I think doing things that you love, I think that's great. And actually, actually, I was just thinking... I mean, from someone, a third person, look in your life, might have thought that you were a failure in the beginning, you know, because yes. you were great in school, yeah. but look at where, where you are now. And I'm sure, in some ways, your parents are proud of you. Yes, yeah. I think so, too. Okay, well, I hope that your story, and I'm sure your story can inspire a lot of people. I, yeah. I hope so, too. Yeah, I hope yeah. I, yeah, I mean, life, life is changing all the time. 
you know, at one point, if you feel like you're a failure, it doesn't mean you will always be a failure. You know, you just have to keep pursuing what you really like to do. Exactly. Well said, Tom. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Classic Shorts. Stories from Chinese history and literature. Hello and welcome to Classic Shorts. I'm Natalie So. Bai Juyi is one of the most widely read poets of the Tang Dynasty. I believe it's because his writings are so easily understood, relatable, and beautiful. As we near the end of the year, let's hear his work, Thinking of the Past. In an idle hour, I thought of former days. And former friends seemed to be standing in the room. And then I wondered, where are they now? Like fallen leaves, they have tumbled to the nether springs. Han Yu swallowed his sulfur pills, yet a single illness carried him straight to the grave. Yuan Chen smelled autumn stone, but before he was old, his strength crumbled away. Master Tu possessed the secret of health. All day long he fasted from meat and spice. The Lord Sui, trusting a strong drug, through the whole winter wore his summer coat. Yet some by illness and some by sudden death, all vanished ere their middle ears were passed. Only I, who have never dieted myself, have thus protracted a tedious span of age. I, who in young days yielded lightly to every lust and greed, whose palate craved only for the richest meat, and knew nothing of bismuth or calomel. When hunger came, I gulped steaming food. When thirst came, I drank from the frozen stream. With verse, I served the spirits of my five guts. With wine, I watered the three vital spots. Day by day, joining the broken clod, I have lived till now, almost sound and whole. There is no gap in my two rows of teeth. Limbs and bodies still serve me well. Already, I have opened the seventh book of years. Yet I eat my fill and sleep quietly. I drink while I may the wine that lies in my cup, and all else commit to heaven's care. And here is one of Bai Juyi's poems about winter. It's called Returning Late on the Road from Ping Chuan. On a winter's day, the mountain road is hard to travel. 
the sun now slanting down. In a misty village, a crow lands on a frosted tree. I'll not arrive before night falls, but that should not concern me. Once I've drunk three warm cups, I'll feel as if at home. And here's a poem about how he feels when someone reads his poetry. It's called The Poem on the Wall. My clumsy poem on the inn wall none cared to see. With bird droppings and mosses growth, the letters were blotched away. There came a guest with heart so full that though a page to the throne, he did not grudge with his broidered coat to wipe off the dust and read. And here is a heartfelt poem about his thoughts and sentiments while watching farmers at work. It's called Watching the Reapers. Tillers of the soil have few idle months. In the fifth month, their toil is double-fold. A south wind visits the fields at night. Suddenly, the hill is covered with yellow corn. Wives and daughters shoulder baskets of rice. Youths and boys carry the flasks of wine. Following after, they bring a wage of meat to the strong reapers toiling on the southern hill, whose feet are burned by the hot earth they tread, whose backs are scorched by flames of the shining sky. Tired they toil, carrying nothing for the heat, grudging the shortness of the long summer day. A poor woman follows at the reaper's side, with an infant child carried close to her breast. With her right hand, she gleans the fallen grain. On her left arm, a broken basket hangs. And I today, by virtue of what right, have I never once tended field or tree? My government pay is 300 tons. At the year's end, I have still grain in hand. Thinking of this, secretly, I grew ashamed. And all day the thought lingered in my head. Those are the thoughts and works of one of the Tang Dynasty's most popular and famous poets, Bai Juyi. Hope you enjoyed them and wishing you a very happy new year to come. I'm Natalie So. Thanks for tuning in to Classic Shorts. John Van Trieste and the destination Taiwan Schools. What goes into an education? What should the goals of an education be? Do ideas about education change much over time? These are some questions that may come to mind if you visit the National Museum of Taiwan History anytime soon. The museum's latest exhibit is called Time for School, Modern Education in Taiwan. 
It's a retrospective of more than a century of classroom life and school activities in Taiwan. But it's more than just a passive look back. The exhibit is also meant to get visitors thinking back on their time in school and consider another question. How has your education shaped the person you are now? Joining us this week to introduce the exhibit is museum curator Zhang Yingzhi. Taiwan had of course known education in different forms before the subject of this exhibit came along, what the museum calls modern education. Notably, Ms. Zhang says, there had long been academies and halls around Taiwan where Confucian classics were taught. In the late 19th century, new, foreign ideas about education started entering Taiwan, introduced by a scattering of schools set up by Western missionaries. But this was the era when Imperial China ruled Taiwan, and the classical Confucian tradition remained strong. From 1895, though, things changed, and education based on the Western model took over entirely. This change was brought not by a Western power, but by Japan, which had itself adapted the model of Western education some decades before. In 1895, Japan took control of Taiwan, ruling it as a colony for 50 years. Transplanting Western education to Taiwan was among the colonial government's early acts. The system took time to develop, though. At first, Ms. Zhang says, basic schools were established, aimed at teaching local children the Japanese language and basic skills like arithmetic. At the same time, high-level schools were set up for training professionals needed for the colony. Some trained the teachers who would man the schools, while others were medical schools, training doctors to improve sanitation on the island. For Taiwanese people, access to education beyond the elementary level came slowly. It was only in 1915, a full 20 years into Japanese rule, that the first middle school opened to Taiwanese students finally opened. Meanwhile, universities and other higher centers of learning only became common after the 1920s. Students were encouraged to enroll in school from early on, with teachers even visiting the homes of local school-aged children. But willingness to enroll children was slow at first, and the drive to enroll was met with suspicion. There were worries about what the state might do with educated children once they had graduated, draft them into the military, perhaps. Ms. Zhang says research done for this exhibit has found that in 1905, a decade into Japanese rule, the percentage of school-aged children actually in school was still in the single digits. But as the colonial order took hold, the kind of skills taught in schools, skills like arithmetic, became essential in the job market. Over time, positions began requiring at least a primary school education, and eventually even higher education than that. So, enrollment in schools grew. Towards the end of World War II, as the Japanese era neared its end, a full 80% of school-age students were enrolled in school. A mandatory six years of schooling had only recently kicked in. What classes were held in Taiwanese schools of the era? Many would look familiar to today's students. There were math and science classes. 
With Japanese the main language of instruction, the languages used in school were a bit different from today. But English as a foreign language was still there. History and geography were also taught, though from a Japanese perspective. And there were classics and ethics and morals. There were also some classes that might have been thought frivolous in the old Confucian academies, singing and physical education, for instance. These classes were there by design, and they had important ulterior goals. Physical education built strong future subjects, and the exercises were group activities done in unison, building up a sense of group uniformity. The music taught in schools also tended to serve state or patriotic functions, featuring lyrics with approved messages and performed on occasions important to the nation. For those Taiwanese students who wanted to get ahead, moving up the educational ladder could be difficult. In most parts of Taiwan, few schools meant few options, and in any case, many families couldn't handle the burden of having a child away from the home or of paying for them to learn more than the basics. Beyond that, there was the fact that Taiwanese students and the children of Japanese colonials did not attend the same schools. The Japanese students in Taiwan had a more rigorous course of study, and those who wanted to keep studying past the elementary level would have to pass exams based on this more challenging curriculum. In order to move up the ladder, Taiwanese students needed to get the right preparation. Ms. Zhang says that during this period, many Taiwanese students would stay after school for extra lessons, even going to teachers' homes for further instruction. Often, they'd stay there until late. Since entrance exams were oral as well as written, parents might even send their children to the homes of Japanese colonials to polish their Japanese language skills and hopefully help their scores. Again, the museum's research team has uncovered figures pointing to a low rate of educational advancement. In 1920, for instance, close to 10,000 Taiwanese students finished elementary school. But of these, fewer than 2,000 went on to further their education. All of this is not to say that there weren't Taiwanese people with exceptional educations. Some well-off Taiwanese families even sent their children abroad to study once their chances to study further in Taiwan had dried up. But these were extreme cases. For many, a basic education would have to do. Ms. Zhang says that towards the end of Japanese rule, as efforts to assimilate Taiwanese subjects heated up, there was a slogan trumpeting the idea that local students and colonials could study together. The idea was to break down the barriers between the two parallel school systems that had grown up across Taiwan. But in practice, she says, this might just mean that a middle school, once reserved for Taiwanese students, might now allow Japanese enrollments as well. To hear Ms. Zhang talk about it, it doesn't seem like this slogan ever amounted to much. This is how things stood after 50 years of Japanese rule and of Western education. What had begun as a simple network of schools on Taiwan had grown to include a degree of higher education, including university education for a select few. After World War II, Japanese rule ended, and a new government stepped in to take its place. Did this have much effect on education in Taiwan? 
What was the purpose of education in the post-war era? And was this purpose any different from what it had been before the war? What memories does this exhibit hold, and what can they tell us about education in the past? Next week, Ms. Zhang will be back with us to answer these questions, and to explore the old notebooks and uniforms, the photos and the essays, and the other schoolhouse objects that make up this exhibit. In the end, she'll also tell us about another question the museum hopes its adult visitors will think about as they walk through the exhibit. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another journey through time. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. This is inspired by the time I spent in Japan. I think it's a good uh, cooperation between, you know, the millennial generation, and it's cross cultures, cross different countries. And it's been a, always a dream of mine to work with uh, dance and choreographers. Hello and welcome to this week's online brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. B-Dance was founded by a Taiwanese award-winning choreographer Benson Chai Bo Cheng in 2014. His work Floating Flowers won the Audience Award and the Gauthier Dance Stuttgart Theatre Production Award in Germany in the same year. He has won various awards ever since then. Just about two months ago, Benson Chai worked with a Luxembourg dancer for the Blah 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 production. And in January 2019, B-Dance plans to launch Millennials, working with Marcus Morau, international artistic director and founder of a Spanish dance company, La Verona, as well as Dr. Ryan Somerville, a renowned composer. And our guests today are Benson Chai Cheng and Dr. Ryan Somerville. Tell us the idea of millennials, uh, Benson Tai. Okay, so um, both Marcos and myself are part of the millennials generation, and we have been inspired by our personal experience as well as the difference between the European and Asian culture. Uh, Marcos came to Taiwan a year ago, and his piece is inspired by his experience here, and he used the traditional like bamboo hat and use like a Chinese vocal in his piece. And my piece is inspired by the time I spent in Spain. So I think it's a good uh, cooperation between, you know, the millennial generation and it's cross cultures, cross different countries. So this is the idea it comes from. And Marcus Morau is the founder and artistic director of the Spanish dance company La Veronal that works with you. 
So the project Millennials is a cooperation uh, between you, uh, Chai Poteng, and uh, Marcus Morau, and also with uh, Ryan Somerville, a famous U.S. composer. So first of all, how did you find Marcus Morau? Okay, so I was getting invited in the jury of Copenhagen International Com- Choreography Competition in 2015. Uh, 16, sorry. So, and uh, in the same time, the Marcos as the jury. So, and as everyone to know, you know, the Marcos and the Lafayette, it's already very famous in Europe. So, actually, I'm a little fan of Marcos. So during that time, I think like, oh my God, I, I'm sitting in the jury with Marcos. I have to talk to him and I have to do something with him in the future. I asked him like, it's any opportunity we can make a collaboration together in the future? And he just said, yes. So I'm so, so surprised that this happened. Yeah. So it's a dream come true in a way. Yeah. <laughs> what about finding Dr. Ryan Somerville? Okay, about Ryan, because, <laughs> yeah, because we know, because I think Ryan write me first, because um, he missing our one show in Taichung, because Ryan live in Taichung, and he say, like, it's a pity I can't see the show in Taichung, but you have more, like, videos, and I'm a composer, I can present, like, my work to you, and... I just hear his music and think like it's amazing, and it's I, I think it's quite it's quite touch yeah it's quite touch and it's very inspired. So then we know each other. So one day I I say like Ryan, can I use your your song for my kids to for a competition? Yes, and a lot of people are like wow, where's who is the composer? Where, where is the, where is the music from? And I said, like, yes, you know, this guy is amazing. And I talking about this composer, it's very good. So before I create this piece, I said, like, Ryan, can we, you know, create something new for this project? And and then you work together. Yes, uh-huh. another dreams come true. Yes, <laughs> Doctor Ryan Somerville, is this the first time you have worked with Benson Chai Po Cheng? Uh, kind of. The first time we worked together was when he asked me. Uh, if he could use one of my uh, prior compositions for one of his dance students' competition, um, so that was kind of our the beginnings of our collaboration. And then when he asked me to compose the, the music for Millennials, I would say this is our first like proper co- uh, collaboration. Mm, this is the first collaboration, and tell you your tell us your experience working with Chai Po Cheng. Uh, well, Po Bo, Cheng is probably one of the most talented artists that I've met in years, and I would say he's been one of the most exciting artists I've worked with probably in my career. And it's been a, always a dream of mine to work with the uh, dance and choreographers. So this has been an incredibly exciting project for me. So Ben Chai Po Cheng asked you to work with him, and this piece is known as Bolero by Maurice Ravel, which is a classic. And how did you actually sample it into a new song? Well, we uh, we had talked about this because uh, since Bolero is such an iconic piece, it's uh, it uh, allowed me for like a little a lot of freedom because um, 
since the piece is so famous, everybody kind of knows what to expect. So I kind of wanted to surprise the audience by adding my own um, perspective on it. So how I started was uh, I took the entire original composition and then I kind of redesigned it and then added my own voice and recomposed uh, the melodies and uh, the orchestration and add and turned it into my own piece. So it then also turns out to be a ballet score? Uh, yeah, correct. I would say so. It could also be performed by an orchestra. I mean, um, Bolero, the original Ravel's Bolero, can also be a concert orchestra piece. And I think this, my version as well, could, could hold up on its own performance. You're listening to On the Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Today I'm speaking with Benson Chai Cheng, famous Taiwanese choreographer, along with Dr. Ryan Somerville, a renowned composer. Ben Chai Pocheng, you and the Spanish choreographer Marcos Morel and also Dr. Ryan Somerville are all millennials' uh, generation. How do you think you look at yourself as Generation Y or millennials? Um, I, I think I'm just a you know a normal person, and you know, but I, actually, I'm a I'm not a, like a politician or. Philosophers, but I do have the view on today's world. As an artist and a choreographer, I do try to express my personal observations and opinions through um, my choreographies with my own sensibility and emotions. So I think. What, what about like, you, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's such an interesting time in history, I think. And especially for young generations, millennials, and now, I guess, what is it, Generation Z that's behind us. Uh, I think a lot of it is, uh, I would say, maybe a lot of character building. Because since there's been so many obstacles being a young adult in the 21st century, I think a lot of people have become very creative and, uh, and to become self-sustaining. Um, I think we wanted to represent uh, the, the challenges that a young person will face and how we how they cope with it, like, and how they express themselves. And that's also reflected in your music that you're going to present. Yes, definitely, and the performance. Um, because since we've taken such a traditional piece, we wanted to make it fit in today's world. I mean, Bolero is, since Bolero is so iconic, we wanted to make it very contemporary and something that uh, uh, the common audience now would be able to relate to. Yeah. Chai Bocheng, you have won many awards, Floating Flowers in 2014, Hugin Moonin in 2015, Innermost in 2017. What inspired you to create all these works? Um, when I create and present a piece, I think that I'm always to express my opinion to the public with a beautiful and approachable aesthetic. And I think that all the all the experience I have, all the ideas, you know, I get inspired. I think it comes from life. So the people you, I made, the story I have, the food I I ate, the music I listen, it's all like the element for my creation mm -hmm. yeah 
all coming from live. Now, B yeah. Dance, uh, your group plans to launch B Plan collaboration. Now, is the cooperation with the Spanish dance company La Verona with the founder Marcos Morau the first step? Um, no, the, actually, this is the second second part of like uh, B Plan. The first part we have the Luxembourg is the choreographer. It's called Gio Cravizier. Just two and months ago. Yes, yeah, two months ago. And uh, Marcos will be the, the second part. And the third part will be 2020. So this is our three years plan. Okay. Yeah. Now, you have uh, promoted exchanges between Taiwan and Europe through dances and choreography. And you begin the year 2019 with the cooperation with a Spanish dancer. And your next step will be in the year 2020. Uh, which is a cooperation with... Uh, uh, do you want to talk about it or do you want to still keep it a secret? I think we keep it a secret because, okay, tell you the truth, we are not finding yet the right person. No, I mean... <laughs> no, because... But we do have some plan and the, the next step will be because we have a festival called Boom Festival. We invite, you know, like five different countries and very unique choreographer and performers, the dancers, they are coming to Taiwan. And this year, we cooperation with um, Malaysia. So we have five, five different, you know, artists. They are from Spain, Italy, and Luxembourg, Portugal, and Vietnam. Yep. So we have like five different artists from all over the world, and we have a show it's called boom mm. so yeah it will be presented on june 2019 so in june 2019 i think our audience is looking forward to that and dr ryan somerville tell us about your music healers and also sono kill share sono that you work with edinburgh quartet uh well sono kill sono was um kind of a response uh piano quintet that i wrote to uh, a, a, teach, a, a very famous Italian composer, Salvatore Sherino, that I had briefly studied with. And him and I had a very fundamental disagreement on how uh, music is created. And uh, this is kind of my reaction towards him. Because he, he had actually called me, he had said that my music sounded old-fashioned. And well, and what I think he misunderstood was that I was taking the voices of these very famous classical composers and trying to turn it into something new. So it's exactly what I did with uh, Bolero. So will and you have? Then, sorry. Well, go ahead. Sorry. No, please. I mean, we'll have more collaboration with uh, Benson Chai in the future. I would love to. He's been such a pleasure to work with, and I'm incredibly excited to see what happens next because i have endless ideas so I, I think we'll have a lot more amazing performances in the future so um i think uh, our audience either here in taiwan or in other parts of the world they're all looking for more i think words from b-dance and uh benson chai po cheng just mentioned to us that of course Starting uh, early next year, you will have uh, Millennials and followed by a performance in June. And then in the year 2020, there will be a surprise. Yes. Okay. So um, I wish you the best of luck. 
or I should say break a leg and uh, hope to see more works of yours in Taiwan and the other parts of the world. And we've been joined on the phone today by Benson Chai Chang, a famous Taiwanese choreographer, along with Dr. Ryan Somerville, a renowned composer. And thank you very much for joining us on the phone today. Thanks, and I hope the dancers don't break a leg. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks, thanks, thanks for having us. And Happy Thank New you. Year. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 And that's it for this week's On the Line, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. I'm Carlson Wong. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next weekend. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kilohertz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kilohertz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kilohertz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kilohertz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.